Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the story behind the song, the podcast where we interview the most iconic artists behind the most iconic songs of the past few decades. I'm your host, Peter Chotti, and I'll go deep with your favorite musicians to learn about their fascinating creative journeys into how their most popular and lasting songs came to be. We'll also discuss one of the artist's favorite deep cuts from their own catalog. And in the process, these icons will reveal their own personal experiences through the years and their candid reflections about their triumphs and challenges. Gary Newman, welcome to this Consequence uh, Story Behind the Song episode. Good to see oh, you. Great, thank you. Good to see you too. And where am I finding you today? Uh, Los Angeles, top floor of my house. It's the only quiet place I've got in the house, actually. Uh, okay, gotcha. Kids at home, dogs, it's chaos downstairs, so I get up here and it's quiet. By the way, do you record there? I do have a studio at home, but it's not in the house. I've got a little guest house in the back and uh, I've got it's split into two. One half is an office, one half is a studio. But it's very, it's very basic. It's, it's not, you yeah. know, it's, it's very unimpressive when you walk in there, just one screen <laughs> and, a, and a keyboard. But yeah. it's, it's good. You know, it, it, it does the job. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, we'll talk about your new album also, obviously, Intruder, which is a great new album sure. uh, that just was released very recently. But... Today, we're going to talk about two songs, and not surprisingly, one of the songs is going to be the story behind Cars from The Pleasure Principle, which was released in 1979, I believe. And then, uh, and that was after your breakthrough, from what, from what I understand, with the band Tubeway Army. And mm -hmm. one of my favorite songs of yours is Our Friends Electric, which is a wonderful song. Um, and I, I may ask you about that one today, too. But Sure, yeah. And just the evolution from Tubeway Army to then releasing your song under your own name, how that all came to be. But then you. one of the songs that the song that you chose is the gift from your new album, Intruder, that I mentioned earlier. And so we'll talk about that one second. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, certainly your music is enduring and you continue to release new songs and new albums on a, and 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 on your journey throughout your career. But uh, one of my favorite series as we were locked down in pandemic was Mindhunter. And there was a great scene where one of your songs, M.E., Me, from your Pleasure Principle album was prominently used as part of the storyline, not just in the background. It was like really deeply used. And yeah. I thought that was interesting. Do you, did you, were you involved in that process at all for that episode 
No, no, they, they just, they decide what they're going to use for it. And then they, they ask permission effectively. So you, you know, you've got the option to say, yes, you're happy with that use or not. Yeah. Um, but I usually am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, it was a pretty cool use of it. I thought. Yeah, I thought no, it was, it was good. It was good. So first of all, um, Gary, tell me a little bit about, uh, just your journey as a young lad and growing up in the UK, right? Growing up in the UK and how you first discovered your love of music, how that all came to be. Well, initially, my, my mom and dad were sort of big music fans and you know, would always play records at, at home. Yeah. Um, but the first time I was sort of really aware of it was, I was very little, I, I can't remember for sure, maybe four, five years old. And there was a guitar player on the television that, that we were watching. And I was amazed by that, but it wasn't the music. It was the fact that the guitar was electric. You could plug it in and it had yeah. a switch in it and some dials. And I just thought that was the best thing ever. And so my fascination with music wasn't actually music at all. It was the things that made the noise. It was the, the technology behind it. And I didn't realize then, but that would obviously become a quite a, a fundamental sort of part of it for me in the future, because that it was, it was that that attracted me to electronic music much later. Now, not, I hadn't really heard that much electronic music that I, that I liked. Some, but so I'd, I'd bought a few albums here and there, mm -hmm. but I hadn't heard anything that had turned me onto it that I really want, that had made me want to go out and get involved in, ele in electronic music. So I, I, I stumbled across it. Chubby Army was a punk band. We got signed up as a three-piece punk band in 1978 by Beggar's Banquet label. Mm -hmm. And we were we went to a studio to record our debut album, which should have been our, um, our set, especially in the 12 songs that we did live, which were all punk songs. Yeah. So we get to the studio, and um, the same one that I made my demo, actually, that I got the deal with, with Beggar's Strange Year, because it was really cheap. That was the reason we all went there. It was <laughs> right, right. 100 quid a day or something. Um, anyway, so we get there, and I go into the control room while the other two bandmates are unloading the car, putting the gear in, and uh, just, just to introduce myself, you know, to um, explain what we were doing. And in the corner of the control room was a mini Moog, this little portable synthesizer. And just like the guitar, I was fascinated by the fact that, you know, it's covered in dials and switches and buttons. And, you know, it was just a cool thing. And I'm, you know, I love all that. You know, when I was little, my, 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 one of the best Christmas presents I ever had was when I was young. You know, my dad made me a control panel. He found loads of old dials and switches in his garage and, and he made like this wooden frame, drilled holes in it and inserted all of these dials and switches. So they didn't do anything. You know, they didn't go anywhere, but you could just flick them and pretend. You know, for it, so, you know I, I was in the Starship Enterprise. I was it, in, right, right. You know what I mean? I, I, that control panel meant that my imagination could take me anywhere in the universe and yeah. I loved it. So I have this natural sort of, I gravitate to all switches and dials, which is really geeky. Anyway, so there's the mini Moog in the corner. And um, I, and I just, I said to the man, would you mind if I had a go of that? You know, I've never seen a real one before. And I said, you know, and I've, I've liked some of the things that I've heard, but I've not really heard anything sort of really blew me away with it. And so he plugged it in and turned it on and, and let me have a go of it. And as luck would have it, Whoever had used it the time before had left it set up because there was no presets. It was all mm -hmm, you know, right. Man, had left it set up and this low end growling roar. It was just 
amazing. So I pressed you know one finger, <laughs> and the whole room shook, and it was it was overwhelming. You know, I couldn't believe anything that powerful in such a little box with one with one yeah. finger. Yeah. And you didn't just hear it, you felt it. I mean, it was, so I stayed with it for the next, you know, half an hour or so. Well, they unloaded the gear and set it up. I just, um, just played with it. And so by the time that the boys had finished loading, they were, they were pretty grumpy with me because I, I was supposed to be helping. <laughs> <laughs> and I just stayed in the control room with the synthesizer. Me meanwhile, you're evolving. Yeah, absolutely evolving on the spot. And they come in at the end of it and I said, everything's different. We, we're not going to do any of the things that we came here to do. This is going to change everything. And so we made... Um, right then and there. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't quite as dramatic as it sounds. You know, you know we still had the same songs. Mm -hmm. I did write, did write two or three more, actually. Um, but we had pretty much the same songs. It was a way we recorded them that was different. So a lot of the guitars were pulled out. The synthesizer was put on. We added new layers. We added sound to change all the intros and the outros because this thing made all these noises that weren't available to me before. So we went back to the record company with a pseudo electro punk album, nothing like what they wanted or expected at all. And that caused problems because it wasn't what they wanted. <laughs> or right. what they were so we had this massive argument, big argument actually. Um, and my argument was that you know, this machine is gonna change everything. You know, music is, you know, when more people find out about this, this is gonna revolutionize the way music is made. And I said, my, my, you can make me stay with punk if you want, but for me, punk was always a stepping stone. It was always a, a way to get a contract, to get in, to get a foot in the door. But it wasn't really what I wanted to do long term. It was it was a means to get in mm -hmm. to the business, you know. And they knew that. So I said, look, you can make me stay with punk if you want. But as far as I can see, punk's dying on its feet now. It's had its moment. You, you know, we're at the tail end of it now. This is the end of 78. You know, it's, it's, it's on its way up. I said, or you can be at the very front end of something brand new. So this is going to change everything. And we have a chance here of being one of the very first people to be involved with it. Not the first, but one of the first. Mm -hmm. you know, you know, and that was my argument. And we argued back and forth and it got quite heated at times. You know, actually stood up to each other and it was all very childish. Um, but I was really passionate about it. I mean, I really believed that this was coming. And I, the, the, where I was very naive was I, I thought, that I was kind of the only person that had discovered this way of doing it. And you know, this the craft work had done their thing, which all been very electronic and very um I say artificial, I don't mean that in a bad way, but no, no guitars, no drums, everything was artificial. Right. You had the, the Eno thing, which you know we'd worked with Boeing and all that very grand low period, which I liked a lot. Um, but it wasn't what it wasn't rock music, you know. Um uh, so, but I, and I, but I wasn't the first. There were plenty of other people that discovered it already. I just hadn't heard of them. So, luckily, in, in a way, that sort of naivety from, from me made me feel as if I was carrying the, the banner for this thing, as if I was going to be the one mm -hmm. that took it, not realizing I was one of the last people to discover it and find it, just that it was still a very unknown underground kind of right. music. Anyway, they let me put the album out. It came out, it didn't do too badly. They let me make another one. I'd, I'd already written the next one, I think, before the first one came out. I was massively prolific then. The next one came out a few months later, and that had Arthur and Electric on it. That went to number one, and the album went to number one. And then, so, the, so the first that. one um, was you were under the moniker Tubeway Army at that time, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. even when you were still punk, when you were still punkish and evolving into that electronic sound, 
was that Tubeway Army or was it your? Yeah. It was okay. Tubeway Army was signed as a punk band. Yeah, I see. But the first album it put out was actually an electronic album. We put out yeah. another electronic album. It was Tubeway Army. When I when I found electronic um, music, when I found the synthesizer and went back with that album, I said to Beggar's Banquet, "Then I don't want this to be a Tubeway Army album." Um, it was it, it it's slightly mistaken to think of Tubeway Army as a band. That's that's the first thing. It was just. Okay. It was just a different name for me. Oh, okay, okay. No, that that sounds arrogant, but it. it, it no, but that's important. I, I, yeah, I don't quite, I don't quite mean it that way. Whoever was in the band would come and go. I see. Um, it was I was the I was the one, and things would just come and go around me. You know, so I didn't want the album to go out as a Tubey Army album because I associated Tubey Army as a punk band. I thought punk was failing. I didn't want that connection between Tubey Army and punk as it faded away even though what we were now doing was something very different. I wanted to make a clear cut. Uh, the record company didn't want to, so they, that album went out to Tubi Army. The next one went out to Tubi Army. Because that one went to number one, <laughs> now I've got a little bit more say in yeah. what's going. Now I've got a little yeah. bit more sort of strength to my elbow, so to speak. Right. And um, so from then on, it, it went out as, as Gary Newman. But then it looked like I'd made a power grab. You know, we had this big number one thing, and then it looked as if I just discarded the band and gone off on my own. And it wasn't like that. And, and it's always bothered me that it was seen that way back then. Interesting. So when you when you changed, um, you transformed the identity, although it was you, but the identity from Two Boy Army to Gary Newman. That was a conscious decision to break away from the past. Was it also establishing your a new persona for yourself that fit the music? And your vision for your music? It wasn't really. No, I mean, the persona was already there as far as being Gary Newman is concerned and, and the, the image side of what we did mm-hmm. and the way that you presented it and how image was an important part of that. That was already fully established, certainly on the second album, the, the, the Replics album, yeah. which I pointed out you came from. No, I wanted, it to, I wanted to be out of it before that. I wanted to be out of it. As soon as it went electronic, I didn't want it to be associated with a punk band. But, you know, it didn't do any harm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you were talking about how you were always very attracted to gizmos and buttons and, you know, levers and all kinds of things your father put together. Then ultimately kind of technology itself has been a a fundamental part of what you've done. And as I was looking into some things prior to having this discussion that you have this, you, you've received a number of awards on the technology side in addition to things like your songwriting, like the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers, and Authors, that's one of the awards of, of many, but it's but technology has been at the core of what you've done or a central aspect of it. There's a, there's a big part of me that's, that thinks uh, at times uh, uh, music is all, almost, a, almost a, a byproduct of what my interest is. My interest was in technology. When, when I first got my own electric guitar, I'll be, I can't remember for sure, 11, maybe 10 or 11, 12, mm-hmm. you know, pre-teenage. Um, I didn't really spend a great deal of time learning to play it. I learned some basic chords because my cousin taught me. Um, but quite often, in fact, the majority of the time, I think, I would actually put the guitar on the stand, plug it into lots of pedals, and then just hit it like that, and then just twiddle. And it would make these amazing noises. This is before I knew about synthesizers. Yeah. And so my interest was, was never musical in the sense that I didn't learn scales and you know, blah, 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 blah. never learned any of that. 
I'm a very, very, very average player, even now to this day. I still don't know the names of chords on the piano. I know the individual notes, but I don't know the names of chords. And if you said play a, a G seventh, not a clue, <laughs> right. not a clue. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but that didn't matter to me because my interest wasn't in that. It wasn't in musical expertise or technique or scales or any of those things. Didn't care about any of that. Yeah. My interest was noise, sounds, what made amazing sounds. And then the challenge is how do you make those weird sounds musical? You know, and that's where the synthesizer, when it came along, um, was the, sort of the answer to my dreams, really, because it, it all it did was make weird, brilliant noises. And then you had to find a way of making that musical. So I think, I think in a way, the way I discovered the synthesizer was 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 lucky in the sense that I went into the studio as a normal band, a guitar, bass, drums, vocal band, and I found this machine that could add a whole world of different textures to that yeah and and so i by chance merged the two things together a very conventional lineup with a very unconventional instrument and you have this mixing of the two whereas what craftwork had done although they were successful in a different way it had all been there was no conventional lineups at all um and then you had your hardcore guitar bands over here so i think you know like, like i say by chance by luck really i I put something together that had enough familiarity about it for people to get into. It still had the guitar, bass, drums and melody and all that. But it had this whole other layer of weird noises and sounds and so on, which made it feel futuristic or experimental. And that appealed to other people. And so it just, it crossed that fence between conventional and experimental um, perfectly. Um, but through no design of mine, through, through just right place, right time, putting it together in the well, right way. Yeah, but you had the vision at the time. Um, it, it sounds like it was almost when you saw the Moog and played with the Moog, it was a transformation in your own mind, like an aha moment, right? And yeah. so before we get into the specific song, Cars, from your your album, uh, Pleasure Principle, when you arrived at your sound with Tubeway Army, and then with the release of Pleasure Principle, did you have some early indications from others that, wow, like this is hitting? Did you have an did you have an expectation in your mind at all that this was going to be something that was that would really take hold? I did. I, I thought the instrument itself was was going to change everything. Yeah, that was my argument with, with the record company yeah. to begin with. Um, when I was doing the Pleasure Principle album. When we made our, our friends electric, for example, I, I, I didn't know. I mean, I, <laughs> our friends electric was number one for four weeks in Britain. It was huge. Yeah, you know, it's a great were, song. We were doing you know forty odd thousand copies a day, which for Britain is just phenomenal. Yeah, you know, um, and yet when we were making it, I, I didn't see that as being a, <clears throat> a a big single. It was um, it's too long. It's five and a quarter minutes long. You can't dance to it doesn't have a chorus as such and it's about robot prostitutes it's not <laughs> it's not a good typical sort of sort of song and so i didn't have any you know the, the other the first single from the album was called down in a park and that's really slow brooding kind of thing yeah about machines that rape people you know okay I mean? uh, it, an another just... light subject 
<laughs> it's, it's not the sort of thing you're going to hear on the radio you know, as as a rule um so i was aware of that and, and i knew that it was you know the subjects are different and unusual and pretty dark and you know so there's no chance of radio play i didn't think there was any chance of tv for it you know i had no expectations of any of that whatsoever i i was hoping that it would get me to a point where i would be able to sell out some of the the more well-known sort of rock clubs like the marquee for yeah. example, london that was my ambition for it. I, you know, I, I I had great ambitions to to be this massive rock star at one at some point in the future. I just didn't think that was going to be it. You know, and so um, when our friends Electric took off and and did all the th- all the things that it did, you know, it it, pretty, it did catch me by surprise. Really, I, I wasn't even that keen on on having a, a rapid success because I I saw lots of problems with that. You know the. The problems of getting somewhere quickly is that you're very you're very ill prepared for it. You you mm. haven't had a build up of experience in how to handle bigger crowds on stages, you know, bigger venues, um, how to put light shows together or stage shows together. You don't know how to deal with the press, you know, and some there's sometimes devious ways the press ask you questions because they're looking for a certain angle. Yeah. All of those things, you know, there's a huge amount to learn before you become successful so that you can handle it properly when yeah, it arrives. Of course. And so a rapid rise to success and an overnight success, which is kind of what, what mine was, is not the best way to do it. And I hadn't planned on that. I wasn't <laughs> aiming f- for that, you know? Right. So when our friends elected took off, I was exactly what I feared I would be. I'm horribly ill-prepared. And, and it was all a bit of, um, a, it was pretty overwhelming and it was shocking to me. Uh, and a great deal of it was unpleasant, and I didn't take to it well at all. I tried my best, mm. and I certainly tried to keep my feet on the ground. And I, you know, I never, I never got arrogant or big-headed any of that. I was always very aware of how lucky I'd been. I always mm. have been, you know. Um, but nonetheless, y- you are. It's it's the maddest world to be dropped into the middle of when you're very young. And I've got Asperger's as well. It just adds, adds a whole layer of, of extra difficulty to being in that in that position. I didn't have any management. I was looking after myself. Interesting. Um, and I was with a label that itself hadn't had any success before. So I wasn't surrounded by people that could guide me and help me through it. So I really was bouncing off the walls there. I bet. For, for a few years, you know, till I when, got it sorted out. And I would imagine just based on what you were telling me about your label at the time and how they were when you first gave them this sound, they were not, it was not what they were expecting. Right. So they were probably surprised by the great success of it as well. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I would imagine. And they they were thrilled by it, but still. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it was very exciting. Yeah. I I talk a lot about how it was shocking and overwhelming and so on and as if it was all bad, but it wasn't all bad at all. There was, you know, there was some amazingly exciting moments. You know, it's, it's, um, it's just an, an an immense ride to suddenly find yourself on, and I've likened it many times actually to if you're standing in a in a at a train station, and an express train, shiny express train comes blasting through, yeah, and you you just put your hand out and it, and you grab onto it and you're whisked away, yeah, and everything's a blur and you but you're still on the outside, you know you you can't get in into it but you can see in you can see all these glamorous people walking about very comfortable and you know what they're doing and it seems very calm <clears throat> but for me it wasn't like that for me i'm on the outside looking in i'm being battered to shit as this thing's roasting along 
away from everything you know and love away from everybody you know and love yeah really um you're just taken off into a world that you've not experienced before and at some point you lose your grip and you fall off and it just keeps going on its merry way and that's where i found myself a few years later Mm. yeah and you're lost you know and you're damaged and you're battered and you're looking for looking for safety really and that that was how the first few years of my career felt. <laughs> so, yeah, fantastic. Well, <laughs> no, but it, was ex- it was exciting. You know? It's an amazing I, ride being up there. You know, look, I bet, I bet. I bet. And so I got to follow up on that then. If you were saying that the first few years that you were trying to, gra- you were grabbed, you had grabbed onto this and you were looking in, but mm. then there was a time a few years into it where you had fallen off or how, the way you kind of described it. How did you pick yourself up at that point and, and I don't know, rethink your approach to music, if at all? I didn't, actually. And when I say I feel off, that's not quite true. I let go. Okay. This, this would be 1981. I, I realized that what was going on was doing me no good whatsoever. I was either going to become a drunk or a drug addict. Or I was going to crumble under it. And so I made, I think, a very sensible decision. I decided to pull out the whole thing, just let go, back away. Try to keep yourself together by trying to understand what had happened and trying to grasp it all and trying to come back at it with a more mature, knowledgeable, well-thought-out approach to it. And you can't do that when you're in the middle of a storm. Mm -hmm. You just can't. And so I made this uh, very mature decision for somebody in that position, I think, uh, and, and quite brave in a way, is to just step away from everything you've ever dreamed of. Yeah. You know? um, but what I did wrong was saying I was going to do that. You know, I made a great big announcement. I'm going to retire. I'm getting out of it. You know, this is not what I thought, blah, blah, blah. And um, <laughs> terrible mistake, you know, because <laughs> yeah, then you you – you create you, you first of all you alienate everybody that supported you you annoy the fans you annoy the record company you annoy the promoters that are doing the gigs the pr people everyone that helped you get there and is now benefiting from where you are they're all pissed off because now you just pulled the plug out of everybody and all of their efforts and i didn't realize that i didn't i didn't I was so immature, and I didn't realize the damage that I was doing to other people. Well, you were in your, what, mid-20s at that time? Oh, yeah, 23. Yes. I was actually 22 when I made the decision, 23 when I actually... <laughs> that you're going to retire. <laughs> yeah, but I never I never meant to retire from everything. I just wanted to get away from touring. Yeah. Well, it's the, the madness is intense. And I really wanted to go back home and, and kind of bring it back to, to the, the level of a hobby that it had been before, mm-hmm. you know, when I loved it and it was just great. And I just sat in the studio all day, just making noises and making records. You know, I, I wanted to go back to that. I wanted it to be calm. And I didn't want all the, all the chaos and the madness that come with it. You know, you got women sleeping with you and then writing about it in the press. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's all of that stuff comes in. You've got death threats. I've got more death threats than I could count. My mum got put under police protection because they were, she was going to be kidnapped for money. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, petrol bomb put under the car and just shit, man. You, you know, there there is for every loving person out there that thinks you're, you know, God's gift to music. There's someone else that don't. You know? yeah, and yeah. 
and they all kind of get to you in a way. And I just wanted to get away from it anyway. You know, um, and you can, you know, you can navigate your way through that, but you need to be better informed than I was at that time. So that's what, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to calm it all down, grow up a little bit. You know, look at what had happened, work out what was good, what was not so good, and then find ways of navigating your way through that, um, which I did. Um, but when it first happened, when I first sort of let go and dropped off, this would be 1981, I was just still not, not in a good place. And then I just, I did so much damage to my career then, I, I pretty much killed it there and then. And so for the next um, 40 years, I, I spent <laughs> the next 40 years so trying to get back to where I was when I let go of the train, you know. I think the real turning point came in 1992, so about 11 years later. Mm. So I struggled for those 11 years. It was, it actually worked, it went from bad to worse throughout those 11 years, up to about 92, 93, actually. And I pretty, I think I bottomed out about 92, 93. Worst album I ever made. My songwriting was awful. Um, ran out of money, just uh, trying to repossess my house. You know, I think, think it was, everything was just, uh, it, it's, it's pretty much as bad as it could get. Yeah. Um, then I met Gemma, my wife, who I'm still with now. Um, and a few things happened. I met Gemma. She introduced me to music I hadn't heard before. I found very inspiring. We talked a lot about why it had gone wrong, why I was now pretty much you know, finished as from a musical point of view, um, career point of view. Um, and I realized that the album I just put out really wasn't good enough and that I tried to understand where all the ideas had gone. All the imagination had vanished. And I used to be very, very imaginative, very creative, coming up with all sorts of things all the time. And now it was just my songwriting had just been constantly, album after album after album, about the career and the problems and no imagination whatsoever. You know, just like a boring diary, you know? Yeah. Um, tried to understand why that had happened. And, um, but that was it, that moment of reflection, 92, 93, um changed everything and i and i gave up i gave up on trying to save the career i gave up on worrying about what record companies were saying and a r men were saying and i just went back to making music as a hobby again um very inspired by some of the things Gemma had played to me um things that were massive but i just missed you know songs mm -hmm. of faith and devotion to peshmo mm -hmm. amazing Great. album but yeah. i hadn't heard it I, you know i hadn't heard it um, that was a bit later, actually, 94, I think. Um, some of the Nin stuff, you know, um, but just lots, lots of really cool things that I hadn't heard. The, the um, Nin stuff, Nine Inch Nails? Yeah. 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 Um, no, I, I know that Trent, Trent Reznor is, considers you to be a major influence on, on his music. Yeah. Yeah. Which was amazing, really, because I didn't know that when I got into not nine inch nails you know i found that out later which is a, an, an amazingly cool surprise that's a very cool surprise yeah. yeah um but you know listening to that sort of much heavier more aggressive darker use of electronic music reminded me of what i've been doing before with things like down in the park and our friends electric and that um not that they're industrial i don't mean that but there, I, there was a much darker nastier sort of element to what i was doing when i started and i'd lost that you know I, drifted off into these other things, trying to tread new ground, I yeah. suppose, as we each end, but just got more and more lost, strangely enough. Anyway, um, that changed everything. That that really was a pivotal moment. Now, I would say 92 to 94. 94, I, I did an album called Sacrifice, 
much darker, much heavier, much more aggressive than anything I'd done before. And I saw a direct link from that back to 79 replicas, pleasure principle a little bit, that everything in between that you have sort of just push out. Not everything, but yeah, but some of it. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. an 80, 1980 album's pretty good as well. Um, it, just, it just went wrong. It didn't, yeah. didn't go wrong overnight. It just got increasingly more wrong as the 80s went on into the early 90s. Anyway, that was that. And then um, that actually did a little bit better. I realized that I'd, I loved making music again, and I hadn't for quite some, for many years. I didn't, I hadn't realized I'd sort of fallen out of love with it. Um, and my imagination was back. I, was, oh, these, I started to write stories again, you know, which I've been doing ever since. It just changed everything. So that moment of reflection, you know, getting to that really bad point career-wise and creatively was exactly what I needed, actually, you know, because it made you stop and rethink everything. Why are you doing this? Yeah. You know, if this isn't fun, why are you doing it? How do you, how can you make it fun again? How do you enjoy it again? And um, Gemma was amazing, actually. Gemma, Gemma pointed out to me, and I argued against this for a good year, I think. My, my problem was I thought that my lack of ability was the problem. So I was getting in great players, great singers, and I was taking me more and more out of the records. Mm. And, and I thought that was the right thing to do because of my lack of musical ability. And Gemma said, but that's the, 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 the very worst thing you could have done. And she, she said to me at one point, she said, you might not be the best, best guitar player in the world, clearly, um, but people like the way you play it. You, you, your limitations give you a style. In a yeah, way. absolutely. And she said, you might not like your voice, which I, I don't. Um, <laughs> she said, but other people do. And you've taken that out of the records. He said, the very thing that people got into your music for yeah. is the very thing you've now taken out of it progressively over the last five or six years or so. And you know, it, it needs a certain amount of ego to accept that that's true. You, you know, oh, it was all about me. And I don't have that. I didn't agree with that. You know, I think, no, no, that's completely wrong. You know, these are great players. They make the albums better. But eventually, she was incredibly persistent and very because I was really argumentative, you know, I'd go steaming back into that. Um, but yeah, eventually you didn't I, buy it. No, no, yeah. quite aggress aggressively didn't buy it. Yeah, but yeah. eventually I did. Eventually I understood what she was saying. And and it all pieced together with my own desire to want to go back to being more experimental again and I, you know, all this new inspiring music that I've been listening to. And all those things together created, um, it was like a, a reinvention for me. And and it changed everything about why I was doing it, the music that I was making, you know, the, the reasons for making it, what I wanted from it, everything. It just changed everything. And and I've been on that path ever since. So from '94 Sacrifice up to now Intruder, I've been on that on that same path. Yeah, I know it's 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 a theme that I hear a lot when I'm speaking with you know, great artists such as yourself. It's that uh, when you let it go to a certain extent, you let it go, almost take the pressure off and just let let yourself be in the moment as much as possible, not think too much. Yeah. And the idiosyncratic nature of your music, which is what people are drawn to, flows out of that. You know, that's a that's something that I hear over and over again. And your music is definitely idiosyncratic and you led the way. You were a pioneer at this sound. Um, and that's what people are drawn to. For sure. You know what? It, it felt to me as if the worrying about the career, the worrying about trying to save it from the, you know, the, the, the disaster yeah. that it had become through my own fault, the pressure of that 
was like a weight on sitting on top of your imagination and your creativity. As soon as that was gone, as soon as I gave up worrying about radio players and chart positions and record companies and A&R men, get rid of all that. I don't care about any of that now. Just going to be a hobby again. I thought my career was over. You know, I didn't have a record deal in 90, 92, 93, 94. Didn't have one. There did, didn't seem to be any chance I'd ever get another one. My records weren't doing anything, you know, it, and, and they weren't even very good. Um, and so when you when you take away all that pressure and that worry and that anxiety, it just my imagination went, oh, poof, there we go. It was back, you know, and it was instant, instant. And you yeah. knew, and you, yeah. And you, yeah, you felt it. And I loved it again. And I was coming up with all these characters and scenarios. And I writing all these stories about a place between um, death, death and life where God can't find you. I wrote, I started to write a book called uh, Pray, The Final Treachery of God. <laughs> and, then there's, and there's something else out there may way more powerful than a god but it does live in this middle layer and it senses when you're there and and in the book these people have found a way of they get to that point where they transition to realize that heaven is not what you expected at all and it's horrific and they don't want to go and they find a way of going sideways and they find this middle layer between the two states but as soon as they get there this other thing goes and it's coming and they know it's coming. And it was all about this. I did, there's a speech at the beginning of the album um, where, where I did it in this sort of weird kind of husky kind of animal voice, which is how you sound when you're in this middle layer. And it's talking about that, you know, the, this, this thing that's coming. And it was, I, I just loved it. You know, every, everything I've written up until then had been about, oh, terrible career troubles, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Poor little me, <laughs> things are going yeah. badly. And then all of a sudden, all this stuff is back, you know, and it was all a bit mental, but I loved it. And I was really happy. It felt like I was like I was back to my old self, you know. And and I'm I'm so hey, by the way, that sounds like the makings of a great grim fairy tale, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I'll, I'll one, one day, you know, when I'm not so busy with the music, I'll finish all those. I got Gone man, that's about half a dozen different novels. What yeah, I started, a bit, like that. A, a very different kind of children's book, right there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> be a great Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. But yeah, one day, one day, I'd, I would love to finish all those things. I've got, I, I, I really do have many Intruder, Savage. Um, there's another album called Death Sun Rising, Pleasure Principle, even, and Replicas, um, The Sacrifice. All those albums started out as stories all of them mm -hmm. and i just took the ideas from the stories and turned them into songs instead and then you make the album and then you tour it and you start making another album you never get back to the story you never get back to finish it because you're just always on something else yeah so i've got all of these um sort of un unfinished novels sitting out there that I, one day i would i would love to do if i had seen my my latter years even more latter than I am now, my latter years, my very latter years, um, sort of pulling back out of music considerably, uh, completely perhaps, and then just devoting what remains of my life to writing these stories that I've started over, over my life, you know. Well, that would be fascinating too. And, and you mentioned Pleasure Principle and, and that story. And going back to that, let's get into the song Cars and how that came to be, what the inspiration was, just how it flowed at, from where you were at that point in your life and in, in the music transformation that you went through. Tell me about it. Like, tell me the genesis of that song. Well, 
I, I, I wanted to learn to play bass guitar better. I had a bass player, Paul Gardner, who committed suicide actually a few years later, um, mm. got, got into a drug, had a drug problem. Lovely man, a great bass player. Uh, and I was, I was a little bit frustrated with the fact that I wasn't always able to explain to him exactly what I was after because I couldn't play well enough to, to guide him along, along the way. Not a big deal, but I thought, you know, I go and get a bass guitar. I learned to play bass a bit better than I can at the moment, and it will help, you know. Um, so I did that. I went to London. There's a, a street called Shaftesbury Avenue, which is right in the heart of where all the music shops used to be. And I bought a thing called a Shergold modulator, which I've still got, and got it home. Um, and I went into my my mum, mum and dad's like little side room that where I had a piano in it that they'd got me, where we used to rehearse with the band at times. And it's where I wrote Operation Electric on that same piano. And it was a it all happened in that room. Where I come up with the name Tuby Army, all in that room. How about yeah. that? Yeah, it's amazing room. My mum died in that room actually, eventually. Ah. So it, it's that that room has pretty much got my whole life wrapped up in it in one way or another. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I get home um, to that room uh, and I open the case and put out, pick out this sheer gold guitar and the very, very first thing I play went do 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 do. That's it, first four notes, straight out of it. I didn't even tuned it, you know. Um, just it just you weren't even thinking at the time it just you were no, playing very first four notes i put it on my knee you know you you, you get something and you sit down and you go you know, you're strum or with the bass guy you'll pluck something that was it first four notes and that i thought that sounds all right yeah and then the next four notes do 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 i absolutely swear to you on my mum's life the first eight notes i played on it were the eight notes from cars it wrote itself. That's it did. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and, and you, I, I spent another 10 minutes maybe doing the other bit, you know, do, 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 do that bit. All on bass guitar. Never touched a keyboard um, when I wrote it. Yeah, I, it, it, I, I find it sort of funny that it's become this electronic sort of classic song now. And I wrote it on a, on a bass guitar. Didn't even write it on a piano, I wrote it on a bass guitar. But that was it. And then I... I Can I, you um, imagine, by the way, right then at that moment where you were in the room and you just picked it up and you were just playing? You know, just... Mm -hmm. you, you had no... It sounds like you had no thought in your mind that you were going in there to write a song of any kind and how that that experience, those sounds like minutes... It was, yeah. Were, ...are yeah. so lasting in in everybody's lives the the pop cult not pop culture the music culture of the last decades it took me about 10 minutes to do the three parts um to get them all worked out into a, some kind of an order you know so the whole thing all the parts are written and the basic arrangement sorted out about 10 minutes and then i then i wrote some lyrics for it, it took about another 20 minutes dead simple lyrics you know it's about some a road rage incident and why i feel safing cars really um so really simple and i think the road rage thing had only happened not that long before so it was pretty fresh to me no, not long but years so before you know um so but, uh, but let me let, let me stop that you there for a second though okay so cars came out of that thought there was a road rage incident that mm -hmm. that entered your mind for some reason at that time did you just t tell me a little bit more about how you why that why you think that came to you and felt right with what you had just played on the guitar? I I, I can't re remember exactly why it came to mind, but it was it was a big moment for me. You know, I, I was um, I was driving through London, coming out of London actually, 
uh, and some people in the car in front, a van actually in front, um, got out and started uh, trying to get me, at the, uh, attacking me effectively. So I, I, you know, I assumed that I must have cut them up or done something. I, I didn't know, but I must have done something because they were really angry. Um, and they were trying to open my doors, now banging on the window and, you know, swearing at me. And, you know, they were obviously going to give me a bit of a, uh, a kicking if they'd got me out of the car. And um, terrified, you know, I'm not a particularly fighty sort of person, really frightened. Um, I, there was a, we were in traffic, I couldn't go anywhere, you know, mm -hmm. but then the, the, the track on the left moved. I was able to just shoot across quickly, went up onto the pavement, drove along the pavement to get past the traffic. I was panicking, you know, scattering pedestrians and shot off the end onto another street and, and got away with that. So that, it was a big thing, you know, it was really frightening and very traumatic. And, um, and it left a lasting impression on me. And, and for some reason, I'd written this little bass line tune thing, um, but trying to write some words. And, and that was very, very much in the forefront of my mind for some reason. It probably was a lot, you know, probably, I was probably thinking about it every day still. Um, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's probably where the hearing my car thing come from. Cause it just fitted so perfectly with a do, 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 you know, that everything is based around four notes on, on that song. Everything is fours. Um, and it just made perfect sense. And then to, to develop that into the way that that then made you feel about the car, but feeling safe inside it. And now you can be these different things and these different images and, and so on. It all, that all just sort of poured out in that moment, in that moment, really. But it wasn't a lyric I'd had sitting around. It wasn't an idea that I'd had sitting around, as the tune wasn't. I mean, everything about that song just fell into place in, in that 30 minutes I worked on it. I mean, the whole thing from opening the case to having a finished lyric was about 30 minutes. Quickest <laughs> song I ever wrote by, by far. Isn't that incredible? That's uh yeah. And again, that's a theme that I've heard with um, some other, some other musicians who have had a song that is so lasting in the, you know, pop culture for decades, similar kind of thing that it just, flowed out in 30 40 minutes it's pretty pretty incredible well there, there was some, there are other things that were added later and i think and quite key elements to it really you know i think the thing that a lot of people remember about it would be that you know it's got that little wobbly mm -hmm. bit at the front and then it goes into that big keyboard line that just sits there well the <laughs> the thing about the wobbling i remember that from when i used to do hit my guitar you know i, I like a, an mxi tremolo pedal and if you went it right up it would go so i remember that that from back then but the, the keyboard line which is the i think that's probably the most memorable thing about cars is that keyboard line so that wasn't written in those first 30 minutes it was just the bass line and the arrangement and, and the lyrics when we got to the studio, that's when I started to add the synthesizers and the big move, beef that whole thing up. And then you start to add the, that, that big string line over the top of it. I didn't have any idea for that. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do with that. So we were in the studio and we got the drums and the bass and all that down. So you got the groove of the song, but there's no strings on it at all at that point, no high, high synth line. And so I, I, I went to record them just to see what came to mind. And I pressed that first key down. And then I couldn't think of anything. Because that's why it stayed, you know, at the start of the song, that high keyboard, mm -hmm. and it just stays there for ages and doesn't do anything. Well, that was me in the studio, not knowing what to do. I mean, doo, 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 doo. I'm thinking, 
I can't think of anything. And it's still going. I'm still holding that note. And then I went, I got frustrated. I went, no, like sort of angry. And it was nearly those notes from the from that. Da, 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 da. It wasn't quite it, but I thought, that worked. That so, that that actually sounded all right. Man. Yeah, a happy accident. Yeah, another so that, one. Yeah, so holding that first note on for ages actually really really worked. It just gave it a power, but it needed that little descending thing at the end to sort of resolve the whole thing. And when I took just scatterly done it because I was frustrated. I hit most of those notes, but but not all of them. So I just refined that the idea to come up with a, an, an actual line that worked, that was in time. It wasn't just me being angry. Yeah, and that, that became that sort of signature part of the song as, as it progressed. And the, the other thing about cars is it doesn't have enough words. Most of the singing is done in the first minute, so it's then there's another two or three minutes of song. So it's it's almost an instrumental with just a tiny little bit of vocal at the front end of it. Um, I wish I hadn't done. I wish I'd have written more words for it, but I, I never. I never but Gary, I never got, it worked okay. <laughs> yeah, it did. It, it, it did but if if you go on the telly with that, if you if you or when you do it live, yeah, you, you know, you 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 sing it, you do your bit, and then there's nothing to do, and you got to stand there for another two or three minutes trying to look interesting, and there's, no, there's nothing to do. Yeah. So I I used to uh, I used to have funny. a keyboard on stage and pretend to play the keyboard on anything, you know, because. I can't dance. It's not like I could do a Michael Jackson it, it, or, you know, for those three minutes. So I was just standing there looking like a lemon, yeah, not knowing what to do. Well, which was like, the per, which was the Gary Newman persona of that album, right? <laughs> looking like a lemon. <laughs> well, no, looking, but standing, standing. Um, I don't know if that was a conscious persona or no, whether yeah. that was you weren't natural doing it any other way. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Like the whole sort of staring at the camera, kind of. <laughs> Hey, listen, it, it all worked. It all worked. Yeah, really no, well. it did. It, it 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 did work. But on the inside, I'm thinking I need. To, <laughs> I should be doing. I should be doing something more than this. Yeah, yeah. yeah this no, is... I, I, that's funny though. It's very funny. <laughs> and and so you and it's um, my understanding again. And you know, I know the album pretty well. I grew up with that album, obviously. And uh, there are no guitars on that album. I don't believe. No. Or, or and so you created this song on a guitar, on a bass guitar. That's yeah. how it all came to be. And yet, ironically, there's not a single guitar on that album. Well, it has it has bass guitar on the album, it just doesn't have a rock six string guitar. Okay, okay. So there's bass guitar on it, drums in it. Uh, I think there's a viola on it. So it's not got conventional instruments. It just doesn't have a guitar. And that yeah. that, that was a reaction to to what the press said about the the, the album before. The press was saying that it's not real music, um, which is crazy because the album before has got guitar all over it. After Intellectual, it's got guitar all over it. You know, it's it's. Um, but there was a lot of ignorance and a lot of a sort of knee-jerk reaction to electronic music when it first came along. Of Lots of silly things said. The musicians' union, the the union in Britain that governs, um, govern, but you know, it's a union you have to belong to. Um, does a lot of good actually, but back then it was a problem. They they tried to ban me because they said I was putting real musicians out of out work. work. Yeah. How insulting was that? You know. How do you so, react to something like that? Well, the thing I the thing I said was that look, it, all right, if you can, I said the majority of 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 the noises and the sounds that the the keyboards are making are not conventional instruments, and I'm not trying to create conventional 
instrumentation sounds. You know, even the one on, on cars is called Vox Humana. It's like a, it's meant to be like a voice screaming. You know, it's not meant to be stringed. It sounds a bit stringy. Um, I said, look, most of the noises are going, you know, and, they're just weird noises. So you show me a, a man that plays that, and I'll I'll understand I'll what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll get them in. <laughs> said, but that's not what we're doing. We are not trying to replace conventional instruments by making things that sound like conventional instruments. Yeah. We are trying to come up with sounds that you've never heard before, that nothing else makes. You know, so how how am I putting musicians out of work? I've got a six-piece band. Six people, including me, in the band when it first started. It varied between five and six. Um, you know, I, I said, I'm, I'm employing lots of people in the band. You know, so well, I'm picking a three-piece, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> who aren't employing as many musicians as I am. How am yeah. I putting real musicians up? Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was really, but it was all part of the, that sort of anti-reaction to electronic music when it first came along. There were people saying that I didn't write the songs, that, that the machines wrote the songs. You know, I don't know if you've ever played the Minimoog, but it doesn't write anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't make a noise at all until you twiddle with it. You know, it doesn't even have a sequencer in it. You know, it, it's, uh, it, was, it, was, it was frustrating at times because there were people that really should have known better. You know, organisations that were meant to be re- representing me my interest that are actually actively trying to shut me down if you're not in a musician's union for example you can't go on television in britain you couldn't back then anyway so if, if they had succeeded in, in expelling me from their union which is what i also tried to do i wouldn't have been able to do top of the pops i wouldn't be able to do any of the tv shows or radio shows couldn't got played on the radio um even radio one the biggest radio station at the time wouldn't playlist Arcanine electric until it had been number one for three weeks the only time I've ever known a number one single not being playlisted on the radio. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, so there was a huge amount of resistance against it. The press hated it. I don't I think I'd by the time I'd made my fourth album, I could count my good reviews on one hand and have fingers to spare. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So it was difficult. It was really, really difficult. And yeah, the public, the public went for it massively. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was amazing, absolutely amazing the reaction to it, um, and I think without that, you know, without that phenomenal support from the public and the fans, and then the other obstacles there would would have definitely would have shut me down before I made another album. There was there was a lot of obstacles, the resistance to electronic music when it first came along in that first six months to a year was incredible, and then it just seemed as if that the the door had fallen open. Yeah, and then it was just nothing but electronic music. Every record no label signed electronic bands. You know, all these great people started coming along. All the people that have been doing it before me now had a, an opportunity to come out and, and be heard. You know, Human League and Orchestra Maneuvers and all these people. Sure. So it was it, it it went from being this huge, no, we're having none of that, to everyone's welcome. Which is which is not surprising. Getting back to kind of your what we've talked about on technology and the evolution of technology and how that that transforms society and it was always fundamental to what you did that the media business entertainment business has always fought against technology transforming what it knew at the time but yet that it 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 marches on and it evolves the art and it's just you know that that's what happens and has always happened from the beginnings of time yeah, yeah, but I've got no bad feelings about it at all. I, mm-hmm. I really don't. Of course. You know, I, I absolutely understand that if something comes along that's new and it's different, 
you know, a lot of people are not going to like it. Not a lot of people are not going to want it. Um, I remember reading things about, you know, fears about it would uh, replace a guitar, which seemed to be ridiculous to me. But, you know, but that's why I made Pleasure Prince with no guitars. You know, the, the press was so aggressively hostile to what I was doing. There was so much talk about, you know, the you know, your guitar is so important. The guitar is everything. The guitar goes blah, blah, blah. And I love the guitar. <laughs> yeah. My favorite instrument is guitar to, to this day. Yeah. But I just thought that's ridiculous. It can't be the be all and end all of music. Look at what this, these machines can do. You know, you, sh you should, we should be welcoming these machines. Absolutely. In. You know, not written. So I, I made Pleasure Printer without any guitars in it to prove a point, you know, to prove that you can make a conventional album. You don't have to have a guitar in it to, you know, to make a, to make a good album. And then you, there you have cars you know proves the point you know you don't have to have guitars but i love them they've been in every other album i've ever made ever since yeah so it's only that one album i didn't have guitars on yeah. but I just i just wanted to make the point you know expanding the palette for an artist right that's it's just new ways to produce art yeah let's get into the second song and this is something that i asked you which song gary would you like to discuss one of your favorite songs from your entire repertoire and you talked about, and you mentioned the song from your latest album that just came out in May, I believe, right? It was just, yeah. re just released. So this is a fresh song. Um, and tell us about The Gift, which is the song that you chose from this latest album. And the same kind of thing. What, I guess, first of all, what, it is, what is it about that song that is particularly resonant to you or resonates with you? And then how it came to be at this point in your career? Well, the, the gift is from the Intruder album. Mm -hmm. The Intruder album I was making before the pandemic hit. And yet, Intruder is about the earth speaking. If the earth could speak about the way it, the way it feels at the moment, about what we're doing to it, how we have be betrayed it, um, what would it say? And so you have, a, you have an album which is talking about its relationship with us, and how its its relationship with us has changed and evolved from when we first, you know, crawled out of the oceans and started to learn to walk upright, you know, and the earth surrounded us and nurtured us and gave us everything we wanted. And we grown to such a point that we could arguably call an infestation and now we're abusing the planet and we have no regard, um, self-obsessed, self-destructive, you know, um, so that whole question about the way that human beings have evolved on the planet and how the way we've used the planet has changed and become destructive and how the planet itself feels about that. So that was the theme behind Intruder. I recorded about three quarters of it before the pandemic hit. Um, and within the songs on the album, the idea of the earth fighting back against us was already well established, you know, that we may have been in an unknown war with the planet since maybe since the industrial revolution when we first started to use machinery in a very destructive way mm -hmm. um the possibility that human beings may be a mistake of nature rather than its crowning glory was a part of the album and that's why the, the earth now sees us you know nature made us too too curious too inquisitive too ingenious too intelligent and it gave us opposable thumbs it gave us the ability to create tools which means machinery and so the rot sets in at that point we become destructive as soon as you have machinery um so all of these things all of these things are running through the album 
And then the pandemic arrives and we have this brand new virus, which is attacking us. And it just fed so perfectly into what the album was already saying. Maybe COVID is nature driven, nature created. Maybe it's a weapon that the earth is using against us. Maybe it's the first of many, or maybe it's a, the current one or many that have been there before. You know, I'm still working on that one. But the idea of COVID being a weapon, a weaponized virus created by the planet to fight against us was a fascinating idea for me and fitted into what Intruder was saying all along. So I wanted to write about it. So that's why, that's what the gift is. The gift is a song about COVID, but, but from the point of view of it being a weaponized virus created by the planet to bring our numbers down, there would be more, ever more refined, ever more deadly and we are going to be using our ingenuity to fight against this as we battle our way along um as we've seen with the variants you, you, you know mm -hmm. i just thought that was a, a fascinating idea so i decided to write about it so i wrote the gift and the gift starts as a very gentle little beat it's you almost oh it's, it's almost happy almost and then the lyric starts and when the lyric starts the, the first verse is again it's quite gentle it's not much going on it's talking about it as a gift you, you know how amazed you're going to be by it. it's going to take your breath away because it's so great he says so it's sarcastic and then it, there's no choruses it goes right through i think there's three verses in a row until you get to the first chorus the second verse comes in and it's heavier and starts to mean a bit more and the lyrics just shift slightly and then you think it's not good is it this thing you know and then you get to the third verse and then it's just angry and it's just going this is why this is what you've done you this is why this is here so the song lyrically evolves from into the earth just kind of spilling it all out this is what it's doing and then you get to the chorus and then the whole thing just lifts up and Anyway, so that, that's that's the idea of song. That's why it's structured the way it is. That's why it builds the way it does and the, and the lyric evolves the way it does. Um, there are other things and there are other things with it. There, the, the thing I really love about the, the gift and why I, why I chose it is there is an instrument called a Yebaha. There's a man called Gorkum Sen, who's a Turkish man, but I believe lives in Cyprus. Um, he invented, he's created this instrument called a Yebaha, only one of hmm. its kind in the world. He's the only one that can play it, obviously. And I was chatting to a fan um, some time ago about my love of uh, Middle Eastern melodies and instrumentation and why I've sprinkled them in my music off and on for, for decades, you know. Um, I love the unpredictability of, of Eastern melodies. You never quite know where they're going. You mm -hmm. do with, the, you, with mm -hmm. the, our music, you do, because you're familiar with it, you know. But with Eastern music, Middle Eastern music, you, you don't know where it's going and mm. i love i love it anyway anyway um so he said this fan said to me a uh, dominic clark his name was he said um you should listen to this man called gorkum sen he said he does all what you're talking about he said and there's a video of him on youtube working doing an improvisation with a keyboard player uh, i think it's german but i'm not sure so i checked it all out and sure enough there's this amazing video on youtube this uh, um keyboard man doing some great stuff you know huge beats and amazing sound i, I was loving that and then gore comes in the room with him and he starts to improvise with the yabaha and you can bow it or you can play it with fingers and it's just like a central stem with strings 
it looks very Middle Eastern, you know, classic mm-hmm. Middle Eastern sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. But then it's, it, I think there's springs. It looks like big, long, wobbly springs coming up of it, which are connected to drums. And, I, and the, the drums change depending on what sort of effect you want. So he's doing all this amazing stuff. And then he'll just lean forward and he'll hit a spring and he goes, and just stuff happens. You know, it's just, it's like a synthesizer, but with nothing, no wires and no switches. It's, it's, it's an organic. It is yeah. the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. And yet, and yet it has this very Middle Eastern feel to it. Yeah. So for me, it was just, it was just the best of both worlds, you know. Anyway, so we got in touch with Gorkum. And uh, and I said to him, you know, I'd love you to be on the album because it was it's such a cool thing, yeah. Um, and to have something truly organic, Middle Eastern, you know, when completely you're completely one yeah. of a kind, completely yeah, one of it, a kind, it, right? It was such a perfect fit for what we were doing. And I'd and, seen and you that can, it worked, and you can definitely hear that vibe in that song for sure. It's, oh yeah, I mean when that when that solo kicks in towards the end of it, I, I you know I I don't I can't remember. I don't think I've, I've ever had a solo on any of my music before. I just, cause I'm not musical that way, you know? So to have one on it was, was pretty special anyway, but it's, it's just, it just flies. And it just, it just takes off. The very first time I heard it, uh, a who produced it, got the recording in and he sent it to me, just a clip of where we were going to use it for the solo. And I sat in my studio and listened to it. And it was such a moment. It, I, I remember I, I just leaned back in my chair and I just put my arms up like that. I just, uh, that's cool. Whoa. And all the hairs on my arms came up. Yeah. Whoa. It's, it was so brilliant. Anyway, um, so to have him on it, to have the instrument on it, to have something on, on their song, which is the only one of its kind in the world, was really, really special. For it to be about, you know, a world-changing event, you know, a, a rare event in human history, to, 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 to have something like that when you're singing a song about that. Um, when you're bringing that song into the park, you know, we may actually be at war with the planet and have never known it, you know, fighting for your survival. It was just, it was, it was a moment for, for me. You know, yeah. And I'm really, really, really proud of the song. I'm really proud of the lyrics. I'm, I'm absolutely blown away that Gorkum agreed to be on it and what he contributed to it was, was special. Um, for me, it's a real highlight of the album, yeah. you, you know, so, um, and it's fresh, man. You know, you, you're always kind of most excited about your more recent things. So I think that might have had something to do with it as well. Well, I would imagine also, I, that's very cool, first of all, but I would imagine that the the idea, the idea first or the connection came first from a fan. That's pretty interesting too. So ultimately mm. the, the interaction you had with a fan led to the introduction or your discovery of this person that led to an introduction that led to this being your favorite track on your new album, which was one of these these kind of moments where you just feel like that's it, you know, like that's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful yeah. thing. So it's pretty, you know, you, that you know journey. I, I talk to sort of other musicians, you know, uh, regularly, obviously. And it surprises me sometimes, not all of them, some of them are lovely, but it surprises me sometimes how some of them think of their fans as being, oh, how can I put this kindly? You don't need to be kind. <laughs> you, you, you just, just they don't, they don't see them as people, you know, with, with skills and and lives of their own. They just see them as objects. Mm. You know, somebody to run past after a gig. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody to 
somebody to buy your album, you, you know, and that's not my experience at all. You, you know, my, my experience has been, and there's a reason for this actually, that my experience has been that, that, that every, every person that buys your record or is interested in what you're doing is a unique person you know, with their own skills and talents and their own interests and their own, um, you know, their own life experiences. And they are fascinating, can be. You know, so to, to, to Dominic, my conversation with Dominic has given me something which has made arguably one of the best songs I've ever written. You know, I don't know if that would have happened without that conversation. You know, uh, and the, the reason this means a lot to me is because when I, when I was younger, I used to go to a venue in London called The Rainbow. It's, not, it's the church now. Um, and see bands there regularly. And I would always go and hang out by the stage door and the, the artists would come out and they'd rush through the fans into their limo and disappear. And, you know, that was all very exciting. You got to get a glimpse of them as they run past. But no one ever stopped. No one ever chatted, you know. And I went to see Queen there once. And we waited outside the stage door as, as always. Um, and then someone come out and invited us in, all of us, all of us, the whole group of people out there were invited into the dressing room and Queen were all there, Freddie, you know, Brian, all of them. They all took time. They all chatted to everybody. They signed everything you wanted and did photographs and that. Not that I had a camera, which is a regret. <laughs> um, but I just thought, what an amazing thing that is. No one else had ever done that. No one else had ever given the time to their fans the way Queen did. Mm -hmm. And That's I just amazing. thought, and I never forgot it. I never forgot it. And I thought, I wonder if, you know, if I did meet Freddie Mercury again, all of them, many years later, and, mm -hmm. and, got, and I've got other, other cool stories to do with Freddie. But, so, and I was able to tell him, you know, I said, you won't remember me, but I was a little 16 year old kid once when you invited us in and, and you were lovely. And I said, and it's, and it's, stayed with me for my whole life and now I treat my fans the way you treated me so I know that when I'm talking to fans you know in amongst them are the rock stars of tomorrow you know they're the brain surgeons of tomorrow they're the fighter pilots you know they're they are they are they are the impressive people of the of the future and um you know you should treat everybody as if they're important Amen. Yeah, and as if they're special, you, you know, I don't like this. Uh, I don't like this dismissive attitude that people have got about them. You know, these are very cool people. My wife, my wife, the most amazing people I've ever, most person I've ever met. You know, the most important person in my life was a fan. Yeah, many years ago, used to come to all the gigs. You, you know, imagine being dismissive about the most important person in the world, who really, as you said, helped you reshape and transform your life into positivity yeah that's why i'm here now you know without without her wouldn't be here would yeah be that's very, amazing very different. Yeah. Yeah. and one cool thing about technology first of all i love that story um the one really cool thing about technology now is that there's a there's more ways than ever for artists and fans to be able to interact with one another uh and i would love to get into some of that thing but I'm, i've already taken so much of your time but i do want to <laughs> I, I know, but it's fascinating. I love the journeys through these songs and they're really interesting. Uh, I, I, I have to, well, first of all, I'll touch upon some of the things that you're getting into. You just released your new album, you just, Intruder. So that just came out in May. So it's available now. Everybody check out The Gift. It's a really cool song, but the rest of the songs on the album too, uh, for sure. 
And then you released an autobiography in October of last year. Yeah. And, and so that's going to be fascinating uh, um, to check that out. To hear, I'm sure, some of these stories and anecdotes about how you transformed your life. But then you also start touring in September again. And we just have a short period of time. But how do you feel? You've been, like all of us, locked up now for well over a year and things have started to open up again, which is wonderful. Although as we sit here, Gary, now Los Angeles, Los Angeles County is back into a potential mask mandate of some kind. So we don't know where things are going. Like you said, mother nature is, is humbling us, continues yeah. to humble us. Yeah. Um, but how, how do you feel after being holed up for such a period of time, now starting to tour again? Like, what is your frame of mind? Well, I'm excited about it. You know, it's, I think when you join a band, you know, you the life that you imagine is, is being on the road, touring, standing in front of people, all the, you know, the excitement and the, the, the uh, euphoria of, of those moments. Um, you know, I, I don't think you, I mean, I, I don't remember sitting at home when I was a kid dreaming about being in the studio. Yeah. I, I remember being, you know, dreaming about being out and, you know, crowds and screaming and all that sort of excitement. So that's really the, the that's the, the life choice that you make when you decide that music's going to be your thing. Was for me anyway. So when it's not there, when it's taken away, um, as it has been for the last year and a half or more, um, it's, it's, you know, you, it's devastating really because it's you know in a way you know a, a significant part of why you live is no longer available to you uh and and i really do feel like that you know it, it feels like a massive part of my life is missing and so to to be able to get back to it i won't be moaning about the dressing rooms anymore mm. you know <laughs> mm. yeah you get to some dodgy, horrible little dressing room somewhere and it's damp and I'm going to just go, this is great. <laughs> I won't be moaning about this anymore. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. all, all of the things that I grumbled about before I don't care about anymore. I, I've reevaluated. Um, we all have. Uh, We've yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm really looking forward to it, man. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I've, I've missed it very much. Now, and how did just one thought about the, while you were trapped, like we all were, how did you try to stay connected to fans? Oh, it, it's not, it's not been easy, actually. Um, for, well, first of all, I was, I was making a record. So, so for a big chunk of it, mm. I was just in the studio anyway. So, um, but, but I do have, I, mean, I have a Patreon page where I, 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 I do Q and A's every month, people sending questions. I, I do video updates every month. So there's that going on. Um, Intruder was part of a, I think called a making music campaign where I, again, would do regular updates and let people see the songs being progressed and how they grew into what they became and you know why the changes were made when they were made and, you know, the evolution of the sleeve and all, all those, you know, they were very much a part of all of that. So there was that going on as well. Um, I don't interact a great deal on social media because there's too many idiots when I just cause trouble and be nasty. So I tend to back away from that. Smart. Most of my, most of my sort of personal contact comes through touring. I do meet and greets every night. We have people come to rehearsals. We have 25 people a day come to rehearsals to join in and see how we rehearse. Um, and a big part of that would be finishing chatting to you know, people are allowed to play the cue boards and 
they want to play my guitar, they can. You know, so we try to involve them in it as much as we can. And, and the, fans can, the fans can learn more about that when they go to your website of how they can get involved in those kinds of things. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. There was uh, that's, uh, there's the store sells you know the the, the tickets for that. Okay. But yeah, but so oh, I think so. I mean, I've I've not looked at the website for a bit. <laughs> terrible. I've just done the website. I uh, sort of given well, a facelift. Well, you, well, you got to focus on the music, right? And the performer. Oh, you dear. can't do it. All. You can't do it all. That's there why. There was so so much to do. You know, I'm, I manage yeah. myself as well. Yeah. So I'm yeah. um yeah. So some things I I lose I lose the drop the ball with a little bit here and there. And I think the website's one of them. We all need, we all need good teams right around us. Uh, <laughs> I, and I, I have to ask you before we go also, because I had no idea that you were a pilot, helicopter pilot, as well as an airplane pilot, and that mm -hmm. you taught uh, aerial aerobatics or acrobatics. So yeah. planes yeah. that are synchronized and doing all those crazy things. So, I don't know how many people know about that, Gary, but how did just really quickly, what, how did that come to be? And, and during your career, while you were throughout your career, at least up to a certain point, I'm not sure if you still do this, you were doing double duty. You were actually in, actively involved in that part of your life too. So yeah, how did that yeah. I was an air display pilot. I used to do exhibition flying at weekends all over Europe. Uh, flying World War II airplanes, combat airplanes. So we would do battles in areas, formation. I was in a big formation team with five or six airplanes. And then I did a, a two ship after that um, called the Radial Pair. It was great. Yeah, then I used to, so I was um, a low level aerobatic, formation aerobatic pilot with combat, World War II combat airplanes. Did that for years. But how does that even happen? How did that come to be? Oh, I always loved airplanes. I was, I was in the, we've got a thing in Britain called the air training course, like an RAF for kids. Okay. You know? uh, and I did that for a long time. And then um, and then when I, I, would, I, had, I had my flying license before I, the music took off. So I was, ha, took off. Um, I was, <laughs> so yeah, I, my whole a lifelong interest in airplanes. And then when the music thing did do well, I, I was able to buy my own airplane. And then I got, then I bought a twin engine one. I had a little airplane business for a while, doing air taxi. And I flew around the world in a little airplane. I, and, I read that, that you yeah, flew around the, the world. Yeah, I did the helicopters. So I got into multi-engine airplanes you know, with passengers and did all that. Got a license for that. Instrument flying, helicopters, jet helicopters. Uh, and then I got into air display flying. Then I got into historic old tailwheel airplanes, you know, big, very powerful. That, that was amazing. I mean, I did that for about 15 years, I think become an instructor examiner for that. Um, now that would be a very cool thing. If you're a, a flying student and Gary Newman is your instructor <laughs> for learning how to fly. I was doing it once. I had blue hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I go to, I go to get my pilot license. I, I open the door and there's my, there's my captain who's teaching me. My, my teacher is Gary Newman. Now that would be a pretty interesting experience. Yeah. I, I, I didn't teach people to get their license. I taught people that were beyond that. Okay. So well, th these are people that had licenses and now were wanting to do air, air display flying. I would, I would get involved at that point. Um, I didn't do that for long, actually. I, mean, I was an air display pilot for a really long time, but yeah. the, the teaching people, man, that, that was risky. Some of those people are arrogant, you know. I bet. You, I bet. Yeah. And so yeah. do you fly still? No, I got out of it. Um, I got out of it quite some time ago. What, what happened was, I mean... The team that I was in, there were five people in it. My brother was in it at one point, actually. And of the original five people, um, three of them were killed. 
in different, mm. no, well, the original six people actually, four of them were killed in different crashes. My teammate, when I had the two ship radial pair thing, he was killed in a crash. And all the people that were doing it when I got into it, that I, the heroes of mine that were great, I mean, most of those were killed. You know, we were losing four or five people a year, and it's a very, very small community of air display pilots in Britain. Yeah. Um, and it just went, it went from being something that was incredibly exciting and that you were really proud to be a part of, because it's a very difficult thing to be accepted in, especially coming from a music background. Most of the people that do it are ex-Air Force or mm -hmm. whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. So very difficult to be accepted. So to be accepted into that, you know, by showing the ability that you have was a really big thing for me. Um, and it was going in tandem with a with music career. Um, but it went from being this amazingly cool, exciting thing to being depressing, man. You know, because you, after a few years, you, you turn up at an air show and half the people that you cared for were gone, killed. And you saw people killed, you know, uh, and it, it just, it, it changed. I still love the flying. You know, that was still exciting. And, I, you know, had more than a few moments where you thought you were, you know, that could be you next. I'm sure. But that's part of it. That's the thrill of it. You're doing something demanding and difficult, and it is dangerous. And you know that that's a possibility. So when it happens and you get through it, you think, whoa, that was close. You're kind yeah. of pumped. Whoa, that was amazing. Um, which seems childish, but it's it's a part of it, you know. Of course. But then there just comes a point. Um, it stops being that. Yeah. You just think, oh, this is this kills everybody. You know, it's just, you start to, it's just a matter of time, you know? Um, so I was in that mindset. I got into that mindset. Oh, this is, this is just a matter of time, really. I love this, but it's, you know, you, you almost like you feel the ends coming in a little bit. My really closest friend was killed in a crash at Goodwood. Um, and that really upset Gemma and she didn't want me to do it anymore. Cause that was one too close. You know, mm -hmm. we were talking about having a family. We started trying to have children. Yeah. And I just thought this, that's enough, really. You know, it was that makes it, you rethink. That makes yeah, everyone rethink priorities for yeah. sure. Yeah, there's no way that you know it's too reckless a thing to do, too dangerous a thing to do when you've got young children who need you. The children aren't going to want to go and sit down in an airfield every weekend watching dad disappear. So you've got other, and I wanted to be with them at yeah. that point. You know, I just yeah. want to do what, what they want to do. And so it, it, it didn't fit in anymore. And I pulled out of it with the intention of getting back into it, you know, a few years later. Right. But it, but it's not worked out that way. You know, I, I still, every spare moment I get, I want to be with the children. I want to do what they want to do. We'll do things together. And, and now, you know, my hearing's gone. I, so if I got in an airplane now, the air traffic are talking to, I wouldn't know what they were saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really awkward. Um, I live in America, you know, let's try and listen to air traffic with an American accent. I'm not going you know, to, well, I struggle as it is, you know, but add an accent to it and I'm fucked, man. Listen, so, I, I just thought it was a fascinating thing, which, uh, which surprised me, but at the same time, when you think about uh, your career and, and how you were at the bleeding edge of transforming music at that time and really changing the sound from the seventies to the eighties, which is, you know, there's a lot of fearlessness that comes with that. And so, and the adrenaline junkie and all that sort of thing. But one last question. Well, two questions, actually, if you weren't a musician and you, you didn't uh, have success in what you, what would you have done? Do you think if you ended up your 
early on your music career did not take off like it did. Do, what, what, what other profession or life do you think you would have led? I've been a racing driver or a fighter pilot. Okay. They're the only two things I'm interested in. So I'd have gone for one of them. Okay. Gotcha. In fact, when, when we was at school, the careers teacher said to me, um, you know, what, what, you know, what sort of career do you want to go into, you know, banking or, you know, <laughs> accountancy or whatever. And I said, I can't, I can't tell you what I want to do. I said, I can, I can only tell you what I want it to give me. And I said, I want it to be exciting, endlessly challenging. It's got to involve travel. You know, it's got to, there's got to be a creative element to it. Um, so, you know, something like that. You know, every single day is an adventure. Yeah. That's, that's what I want. That's what I want my life to be. And he said, I can't, I can't help you with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> you had to help yourself. Yeah. Off yeah, you go. yeah. So that, that was it. Rock, you know, pop star, music, um, flying or racing. Okay. And then who is, who of the current like contemporary music scene, who are you listening to? Who do you find as an emerging artist, somebody who you, or band that you find to be an interesting song or just an interesting artist that you I respect? Really, I, I don't really follow music, actually. I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say. Um, I don't listen to radio. Uh, I don't, I, I can't remember the last time I put on an album to listen to for pleasure, probably when I was in my 20s. I'm 63 now. Um, I was probably in my early 20s. And that's the truth. I, I don't, hmm. I am a source of great frustration to my kids. You know, we, we go out in the car. I don't want the radio on. You know, I bought everyone. Everyone's got their own. They've got their own phones now. But when they were younger, they had their own iPads, iPods rather. So, you, yeah, you want to listen to music, but you can each have your own iPod and listen to it with your headphones on because I don't want to hear it. You know, I just, driving is for thinking. Sitting at home is for thinking. You know, I, I, I find that there is enough noise in the world that I don't need to listen to music for entertainment. You know, I, I and I really, I do feel really guilty saying that because, you know, as a musician, you know, music should be everything that you think about, but it isn't, it isn't. I make, I make records because I love making records and I like writing songs, but it's a, it's a need as much as anything. I don't need to listen to music. I need to write music. And, and that's what I said. I used to get my fill of, of music, really, by going to see bands. I do go and see bands fairly regularly, and that's obviously not been possible for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, it, I, I couldn't even tell you who's in the chart now. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you who's new. I really don't know, and I really don't follow it. Yeah, it's um, pretty fascinating, actually. And there's no one right way to do anything, right? And this gets back to what the themes of what we were talking about, which is, you ultimately, when you found peace back in 93, 94 and went through that evolution, it's because you just, you know, kind of let it go and you, you being you and that's an idiosyncratic sound and it's all worked out really well for you. And, and fascinating new music, love the stories. I think it's great. I've taken a lot of your time today, Gary, but uh, it's, it's been a, a fun journey through your songs and through just the evolution of your life. And so I appreciate the time. It's great to see you. And, um, and we'll do it again sometime. This is Peter Chotti from Consequence. And Gary, thanks again for joining us from Los Angeles today. Stay safe during these crazy times. And 
look forward to seeing you on the road when you kick things off in September. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Enjoy.